Welcome to another episode of the Looking After Nature podcast, where we hope to bring you close to the nature and wildlife in Hampshire. My name is Andy Davidson. I'm here once again with my co-host, Carly Harrod. Hi, Carly. Hi, Andy. So today's podcast is a bit different, as rather than being out on site talking about all the habitats we can see, we're going to focus today on just one group of insects. Yes, but saying just one group of insects is a bit of an understatement, as there are actually over 2,500 species of this insect in the UK, and 160,000 worldwide. Really? So, I think people might be able to guess by now, but we are, of course, talking about moths. And in true Andy and Carly style, we have got up early-ish and come down to Lymington to meet with Pete and see what he has caught in his moth trap last night. Hi, Pete. Hi, Andy. Good to see you. Good to see you again, yes. Down to get once again. Well, we're looking at the moth trap. The moth trap's in front of us right now. and You actually put it out last night, didn't you? That's right, yeah. So what does a moth trap consist of? This is a, a Robinson moth trap, which was uh, originally designed back in the 1950s. Because um, everybody sort of knows that moths are attracted to light. Ever since uh, sort of the days when we first lit campfires, they noticed that moths are attracted to light. And so this trap is designed to exploit that feature. Um, it really consists of a round black plastic container with a transparent lid and a funnel in the top of that lid and a very, very bright bulb in the middle of that funnel. Uh, now this bulb is a mercury vapor lamp, which to our eyes is letting off a very, very bright white light. But what it also does is emits a huge amount of ultraviolet light. And moths are very, very attracted to ultraviolet light. We're not entirely sure why, but they are. And uh, this trap is brilliant at drawing them in from quite a long way away. And all the way around the outside of this very bright bulb are these veins these sort of baffles the moths will come in and as you probably see in your own garden seen them or house you see moths flying around the lamp they'll fly around the bowl bump into these baffles and then fall down into the chute into the bottom of the trap inside the trap there are lots of egg cartons and egg cartons are perfect because they're sort of quite rough surface a bit like bark of trees so the moths will sit on that surface and they'll hide in the little nooks and crannies in the egg cartons and they'll happily stay in there until the morning when you come along and, uh, and have a look so you put it out last night, I mean, I don't think it was ideal last night because it's quite a bit of rain, but what's, what's the best time to put your traps out? Well, you can trap any month of the year. In fact, a lot of people do. A lot of people run a trap every night of the year. And obviously in the middle of the winter, December, January, February, you're not catching many species. You might only catch two, three, four species in a night. Um, generally speaking, it's not much point putting it out if it's very cold. So sort of below five or six degrees, you're almost certainly not going to catch anything. But Moths that are flying in the winter are obviously adapted to survive in those conditions, and so you will catch a few species, things like December moth. In the spring, um, numbers start to build up. You'll get um, a few more species uh, occurring, and gradually numbers will build up through May and June, and then into July as we are now, you're sort of at peak numbers of species, really. And it's not unusual to catch 100 species in a night, um, which is quite remarkable when you think how few species you'll see yeah. if you'll just you know, walking around your house. It's amazing as well, and you think that actually there's only about um, 50 species of butterflies in this country, of which you'll be lucky to see 20 in your garden in a year. Yeah. But if you run a moth trap, you'll catch, you know, two, 300 species of moths in your, in your garden. Even a, a small suburban garden, you'll catch two or 300 species of moths. So there is an incredible diversity out there. So we've got the trap here. We're gonna, just gonna open it up and see what we can find, Pete. Okay, we will do. 
I expect a few will fly out, but most of them will stay in the trap. They're quite happy to uh, stay in there for a while. And the great thing about this type of trapping is it's, it's non-lethal, so the moths aren't harmed in any way. They're quite happy to stay inside the trap uh, until you get a chance to see them in the morning. Yeah. So we've got these black and white ones with a yellow head. That's a small magpie. And we might see a big magpie in a minute. Because they, they feed on nettles, don't they? I think they do, yeah. They, um, they're quite a common moth. I mean, uh, most of the species you catch are actually quite common, but uh, you just don't see them because people don't see moths, or don't very rarely mm. see moths, because they're, um, they're uh, obviously flying around at night. And when no. I say feed on, do, most moths don't eat, well, they have a bit of nectar, but they don't eat plants, do they? No, no. Moths, um, the, the moths that you see flying around are the, the adult uh, moths and literally their job is to find another moth, mate, lay eggs and then that's it, that's the end of their life. So, um, And they just fuel up with a little bit of nectar um, and to, that's pretty much it through their, through their lives. And most, most adult moths will probably only live for uh, maybe, maybe a fortnight. Uh, if the weather is really warm and sunny and hot then maybe less than that because they're, they're out and about being very active all the time. Whereas if the weather is a bit dull and cold then they might not fly every night. They might sort of hang out and wait, wait for weather to improve. So they might live a little bit longer. So, but uh, no, they're not uh, not long-lived things really. So we've got. We'll be talking about southern names here. Wait a minute. Oh, is that a, a that, grey dagger? It's a grey or dark dagger. Yeah. Some species are uh, very, very difficult to determine their full identity just from the. Um, uh, you can see them, you need to perhaps look at uh, some of the more detailed elements of the sort of genitalia and things like that, but that's a grey or dark dagger. And it's got these little, as you might suggest, these little black dagger marks on its wings, I can see there, like little with cross handles. That's right. And that's a, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, but that's a beautiful hook tip. That is a beautiful hook tip, yeah, a very attractive moth. Um, some of these others are sort of little classic little brown jobs, which um, people might describe, but um, you've also got a rather nice one here. That's a ruby tiger. That's in the same family as the garden tiger, which is quite a, a common moth. Uh, not a common moth, but quite a, a well-known moth. And you've got loads of what we're calling footmen here. I love some of the names. I mean, I think they're called footmen because they, I mean, a lot of these are Victorian period, aren't mm. they? Um, and um, they, because they're grey with this yellowish line around them. It's like a neat footman, like, like a servant's livery. Oh, yeah. I love this one here. This is called the, uh, the Uncertain. Yes. Which is... Uh, <laughs> and the, re the reason for that is it's two or three other species look actually remarkably similar to that. So they, they had a sense of humour, our, uh, our mothing predecessors. Right, let's have a look at some of these. Now, these are a bit more... These are the more the jet fighters of the moth world, the yeah. glamorous things. So what we've got here... This beautiful pink and green moth, that's called an elephant hawk moth. Actually, um, and the reason it's called an elephant hawk moth isn't because the moth itself looks like an elephant, but the caterpillars of the moth look like an elephant's trunk. They're sort of long, grey caterpillars. And we've also got another species of hawk moth here. This is a pine hawk moth. And that looks a bit like a jet fighter, doesn't it? Look at that. It's, it's a little bit battered, this one. You can see... Um, a sort of uh, reddish mark on the top of the head. That's where it's lost its scales. Th this, this moth has been on the wing probably for a, a couple of weeks now. It's been flying around every night and it's starting to look a little bit worse for wear. The, mo the um, moth's wings are covered in scales, tiny scales, as, as are butterflies' wings. And as time goes on, 
the scales actually, oh, you've got, you've got one on you, yeah, look at that. See, it's warming its wings up. You see, it's vibrating its wings. What it's doing here is it's warming up the flight muscles. In a minute, that'll take off and it'll be gone. There you go, that's quite a nice one. That's a ear, probably Sultan ear. But again, you can't be absolutely certain with these easily. And that's the little, I mean, I presume it's called an ear because that little white mark. Yeah. Supposedly it looks like an ear on its wings. And also that's another form of the same thing. Yeah. So we've got, uh, so we've got these moths where they hold their wings over their back like that. And then we've also got these ones that hold them open and flattened against the, whatever they're perching on. Yeah. Um, like that one there. What's that one? That's a ribboned wave. So different families of moths hold their wings in different ways. So that's one of the ways you can identify them is the way that they're actually holding their, their wings. And sometimes you get what some of these as a group carpet moths. And that's not because they eat your carpet. It's because they look like a flat Persian carpet, don't they? They're yeah, they've got intricate, intricate patterns on the wings. Yeah, gorgeous things. Right, what else we got in there? Okay, right, so. Oh, look, there's another hawk moth. There's another hawk moth. This is a, a poplar hawk moth. And what's great about these poplar hawk moths is they, they look like crumped up leaves. They look like leaves on the forest floor. Because uh, when you see these, uh, forget, most moths will spend the day sitting around trying not to be eaten by birds. And so they, they, they fly around at night and um, they're trying to avoid being eaten. So they need to be quite camouflaged. And so something like the, uh, the poplar hawk, the wings are a really quite an odd shape they are oh there you go that's another pine hawk moth that's a much better conditioned pine hawk moth uh, i love these ones i remember these from my mother's garden it's a buff tip and it looks like a broken off broken off bit of silver birch twig extraordinary isn't it yeah i think the the evolution that has gone into developing these shapes and these colors that these uh, these moths don't uh, don't get eaten during the day so we've got a few others here this is a coronet sort of a black and white moth. That's a scalloped oak. Again, these lines on the body there, the, the lines on the, the wings will break up the shape. So a bird looking at that would not necessarily think of that as a, as a moth shape. And also the ragged edge of the wing, it looks like a, a broken or dried up leaf. So they've got a whole range of different ways of camouflaging themselves. I mean, this, this that's an elephant hawk moth, isn't it? That one, that's bright pink and that's quite a shocking color. You know, uh, quite often some of these are distasteful as well. So it's advertising the fact that they don't taste very nice, isn't it? It is. Well, certainly, that's certainly the case with the caterpillars. Um, the the moths themselves. I mean, it, it, it's it's really interesting as to why why a moth that basically flies around at night should have these extraordinary colours. Because who are they? Who are these colours for? Really, you know, what, why are these moths so uh, such an amazing uh, range? It may be just that it's a it's a form of camouflage, and again, it breaks up the uh, you know the shape of the moth and it isn't so easy to see but uh, to our eyes that's just gorgeous isn't it it's a, it's quite yeah. a gaudy thing really and i don't doubt we'll probably find some at some point but there's things like the yellow underwings isn't there mm. which have got on the underwing which is covered by the brown upper wings normally they've got these very bright colors um and that might be because it's a startle thing of actually i've opened my wings and it's oh what's that I think that's right. I think that's what the general feeling is that the that the, the, the bright hindwing colours of, of things like that and the, and the yellow and the red underwings is, is to literally to startle the bird. Just as it's about to attack this thing, it flashes its wings. It gives it a momentary moment of uh, sort of pause, and then it's uh, and then it's off. But there's also the fact that 
you know, if I'm a bird chasing this thing and it's flying and it looks red, suddenly it closes its wings and lands in the leaves and I'm looking for a red thing. Yeah. The, the red's covered now. Camouflage inside. This is a this is an extraordinary moth. Look at the shape of that one. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? It's called a pale prominent. And again, it looks like a stick. I mean, it's got all sorts of little bumps and extra bits on the shape of the wings, just so that um, it doesn't look like your standard moth shape. So a, a bird that's sort of programmed to hunt for moth moths will look at that and um, leave it alone, basically. It's just a stick, isn't it? Well, it does look like a stick. So what's the name of this one again? That's pale prominent. So it does, I mean, looks like a rotting piece of wood to me at the moment, where it's got its legs tucked in. Mm. And you wouldn't, you know, I mean, clearly sitting on my hand, it's quite, but even there, it looks like a bit of wood. I'm thinking, well, that's not edible, is it? Yeah, yeah. A, uh, it is extraordinary. That robin was, uh, there's a robin lurking. He, he's no fool. Hmm. Some of them got great names, like that one there, that's a nut tree tussock. What a great name. And this one here is called the snout. And if you look carefully, see, it's got like a little nose sticking out the front. Not actually a nose. Now these two here with these bars on the wings, which yep. are these? Those are lackey moths. Now, a lot of people actually will have seen the caterpillars of lackey moths because they're, they're quite, you come across them quite regularly. They, they tend to be often in, in, in groups. They'll lay their eggs and they'll, they'll hatch and they'll feed on a variety of tree species. And their caterpillars have got sort of blue and sort of yellowy stripes along them. And they're quite a familiar caterpillar. Uh, the moth is less familiar because people obviously don't, don't see it, but um, it's a nice attractive little thing with, um, yeah, so again, a selection of browns and ochres on the wings, which makes them very difficult to spot. And we had the beautiful hook tip, because it, I mean, those hook tips have got hooks on the tips of the wings. It looks like another hook tip there. What's that one? That's an oak hook tip. That's quite a fresh one as well. It's attractive, isn't it? That's lovely. Yeah, with this sort of buff coloured, but sort of more yellowy underwing. Now that looks quite small. Is that one of these, what they call miners? It is. It's um, probably cloaked miner, but it's lost so many of its scales that it's actually uh, quite difficult to tell. Um, as I say, moths who've been around for a couple of weeks, flying around every night looking for a mate, they, they gradually lose their scales and they become more and more difficult to identify. This is quite a, a common moth. This is a thing called a flame shoulder. And you can see why it's got this pale streak running down the, sh the, the shoulder of the wing from the head. It's like go faster stripes on the yeah, wings, isn't it? pretty much. Got there. Now that's a dingy footman. We've had common footman, scarce footman, rosy footman, and now dingy footman. Here we go. Now look, this one, this is the large yellow underwing again. Now this, this is a moth that, again, people are probably quite familiar with, because if, you, if you've got a, an outbuilding, a shed, or a log pile, or something like that, if you move things, very often you'll come across these uh, large yellow underwings. So they like to hang around buildings sometimes in quite high numbers. And this is the one that uh, Andy was talking about earlier on. When, when it flies, it, it flashes this yellow underwing and it's a little bit of a shock. This one has also got a small tick, a um, little mite on it. You see that red dot on the, uh, on the leg? That's a little yeah. parasitic insect that's actually on the moth oh, itself. Yeah. And moths often carry these, they, they, they are. But, uh, it's amazing that a large moth like that will have a, a little insect on it, traveling around. We've got some more ruby tigers. Yeah, they're having a good year, actually. Now, the tiger moths... Uh, <laughs> the tiger moths can be quite bright. I mean, this, in terms of tiger moths, this isn't one of the brightest, is it? I mean, it's a deep sort of 
no. buff colour with a sort of reddish underwing. Um, but some of the others, like the Jersey Tiger, the Garden Tiger, has got big black and white stripes and red spots and all sorts, haven't they? They're the real glamour family, aren't they? That's right. So, um, and as you say, this is probably the, the least glamorous of a, of a glamorous bunch. Now, what we've got here, this is a, a little moth called a brown tail. Now, again, people are possibly more familiar with the caterpillars of brown tail moths. Certainly if you live uh, on the south coast, um, they're fairly notorious that this, these, these um, caterpillars occur in sort of um, high numbers on hawthorn bushes along the coast and they've got hairs on them. The hairs are designed to protect them against um, predation but they're also extremely irritating to people. So you know you, if you get brown tail moth um, get too close to brown tail moth cocoon or the caterpillars you can get the hairs in your skin and they're, they're really irritating. I've had it myself and it, it lasts for days it's extremely annoying but this is the actual adult moth and uh, these aren't particularly uh, a problem at all but uh, and you can see it's a, basically a white moth but with a little brown tail and that's where it gets the name there's a similar species called a yellow tail which has got a yellow tail exactly <laughs> yeah. now we can see on this box here there's a little cluster of dots on there look like little mm. those are the eggs of a moth i couldn't tell you which species has laid that but very often because the moths are in the trap overnight um, very often, you know, they will lay eggs on the actual cart uh, cartons, the egg cartons, which obviously isn't ideal for them because this, this isn't a food plant, so they're not going to survive. But that's you'll often see the little clusters of uh, clusters of eggs. But the moths themselves aren't harmed, so they they can go on and uh, lay some on a different day. Because that's not a moth, is it? No, that's a beetle. Now, um, one thing about moth traps is that they actually attract quite a wide range of other insects. It's not just moths that are attracted to light, but uh, caddis flies are, mosquitoes are, yeah. Very often you can open the trap and uh, you'll find a, a whole range of, of different, uh, different insect groups in there. So, you know, it's, it's not just, uh, just moths that come down here. I occasionally get loads of lesser water boatmen. Oh yeah, yeah, they love it, don't they? Yeah. They, I mean, this time of year, they're flying around trying to find a pond that the pond might have dried out and you can get hundreds in there, can't you? That's an interesting moth. That's the thing called a double-lobed. I don't catch that very often. There's one of these little flat ones. I'm talking about geometers, the one that hold their wings flat. Uh, small fan-footed wave, I think that one. There's some lovely names, aren't they? They are fantastic, yeah. If you look here, the, the, this uh, black, uh, black arches, it's got a huge, huge antennae. Now that's a male, and the male have these vast antennae because what they're doing is they're looking for a female and the way they find the females is the females release this pheromone, this chemical scent, which wafts around in the air. And these antennae are designed to pick up that, uh, that pheromone. And they're incredibly sensitive. They can just pick up a few molecules of this pheromone floating around in the air. And, um, and they'll fly in from quite some distance away to, to find a female. And uh, if you, you put a female moth things like emperor moth this works really well with if you if you can get a female emperor moth and put it to put it somewhere on a post or in a little little container and allow it to release its pheromones you'll get male emperor moths flying in from all over the place to uh, to come and investigate so they're massively feathery and you've got the, all these little feathery bits coming off and that's to increase the area of of um receptor isn't it of the for the pheromone it is it's like a, almost like a radio antennae sort of thing yeah. you know they, they, it's got a huge surface area those those feathery antennae for picking up the uh, the pheromones and with the pheromones because there's a group of moths called clear wings isn't there which 
you know, they're day flying. Yeah. And they don't come to light, so you don't really, really catch them in the traps very much. Um, but they look like wasps. Because most of the scales on the wings aren't there, and they're very clear, like, that's why a clear wing. And they mm. look like wasps, don't they? They are. And uh, quite a lot of insects um, sort of mimic um, species that, that are you know have a sting because it's to their advantage there's there's um, several of the things like hornet clearwing really does look like a hornet yeah. and uh, and this obviously is an advantage to them because um, um, predators will think twice before attacking something with a with a sting so yellow and black is very often that sort of danger pattern if you like the um, I mean the interesting thing uh, with clearwing moths is because they uh, they we've developed these artificial pheromones now mm. we we've learned a lot more about how common for uh, these clearing moths are actually a bit like when mercury vapor traps like this one were invented in the 1950s suddenly moth trappers had this whole new tool and they were able to monitor moths uh, much more effectively it's the same with pheromone these using these pheromones now by using um, these artificial pheromones we're able to um, actually attract clearing moths and and we can monitor them and, and, and survey for them much more effectively and it's turned out that they're quite widely spread and there's new records all the time being coming in because of these uh, this new advance but because before moth traps like this i mean people used to use things called wine ropes and um and sugaring didn't they so what was that well that was um classic that was a victorian method it was it was it was known that moths were often attracted to um um, to very sweet, sticky substances like sapruns on trees. You yeah. often get moths gathering on sapruns on trees. So they created an artificial sapron, which was a, well, there were some closely guarded secrets about what particular recipe they used, but basically it was sweet, things like molasses and sugar and rum and things like that all mixed in. And then you plastered this on a gatepost or on a tree at night and just waited for the moth to discover it and fly in. And very often you'll get quite big numbers of moths gathering around these, these sweet, sticky substances. Um, so only certain species are attracted, but there are some very, very uh, interesting things like um, the underwings, the um, dark and light crimson underwing. It's one of the best ways of seeing those species is, is to, to sugaring. But uh, it's still done a bit, but nothing like as much as it used to be because moth trapping with light has, has taken over really. Now we've got a nice one here with a it's got like a sort of whitish y mark on its wing isn't it it has that's the silver y moth isn't it that one it is and uh one of the claims to fame of the silver y moth is it's a migrant moth um probably our commonest migrant moth and they're often day flying so a lot of people have seen them on things like buddleias in, mm. uh, in the summer they'll come in and nectar on buddleia now this moth here could well have flown over over the channel it may it may have come from southern southern europe these, these they fly enormous distances something like that is about two centimeters long is able to fly several thousand miles is is extraordinary but yeah. they they happily do it and um there are even smaller moths that will fly that sort of distance as well yeah there's a tiny one called a diamond back moth isn't it yeah, it looks like a little blade of grass, a little section of blade of grass, doesn't it? And they come in in huge numbers sometimes. Okay, so we've got here, this is a September thorn. And the thorns are a whole family of moths with, whose wings, again, are look a bit like um, autumn leaves. Yet another poplar hawk moth. These poplar hawk moths are coming thick and fast, aren't they? And another buff tip. So if you look, there's three different moths there, three different families, and that they've all got, in one way or another, a way of disguising themselves during the day. The buff tip looks like a broken stick, this looks like a leaf, and this looks like a, a collection of leaves on the forest floor.
And there's quite a bit smaller one here. Yeah, that's a micro moth. Um, and I'm going to check what that is. It's a, it's a tortricoid moth, which is a family of moths of which there are a very large number. I'd probably do that one, but I'd have to, uh, I'd have to look it up. It'll take me a little while. But there's, um, so there are some excellent books now, actually. I mean, yeah. um, when I first started mothing back in the sort of 1980s, there was, there was only some fairly ancient books to go on. And then uh, there was a book by Bernard Skinner was released and that sort of revolutionized moth trapping because, or moth recording, because it, it, it showed the moths very accurately in these, these um, photographs and you could use that. And since then there have been a number of sort of field guides released. Uh, which have helped an awful lot with identifying the mi the macro moths and then a couple of years ago a brilliant new book came out looking at the micro moths which mm. are the really tiny moths uh, and that again has revolutionized the recording of, of micro moths because we've got really good illustrations now of them all and just they just didn't exist prior to that so uh, um yeah so we've got a lot of tools now for moth trapping it's um it's it's a lot easier to do than it used to be <laughs> and that's the thing amongst those thousands of i mean they're all in group lepidoptera which also includes the butterflies mm. now the butterflies aren't out on one isolated branch are they they're dead in the middle of all these they're just like posh moths aren't they posh moths is a good description for them yeah they i mean some moths fly in the day um some butterflies actually fly at night and so um that there isn't that clear distinction which many people think so yeah they're all lepidoptera they're all different families of of, of lepidoptera there are sort of differences in the antennae structure and things like that, but really there, there isn't a, a, a really hard and fast definition or, or dividing line between them. And there's the two sort of main groups people talk about, as, as we've just said, is the macro moths, which tend to be the bigger ones, and the micros, which tend to be the smaller ones. But you can get very small mi macros. <laughs> and very large um, micros. micros, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's not a hard and fast rule either. So it depends which family they're in as to which, uh, which book they're in when you're looking them up. So this is this couple of um, interesting species on this one. This this is um, a moth called uh, Brussels lace. That's a beauty, isn't it? It's gorgeous. This used to be really quite a rare moth. Um, when I first started trapping, I never used to catch this. Extremely rare moth, but it's it's um, it seems to have become a lot commoner over the last few years, possibly because of improvements in air quality and things like that. It's a bit like with the peppered moths, um, and that's that certainly increased its numbers. And this one here, this is called an L. album wainscot. And this is a fairly recent colonist to this country. They, I think they first arrived in Cornwall back in the 1930s, I think. And they've spread all the way along the south coast. And it's now a fairly regular species along the south coast. And it's an interesting thing about moths in that the overall numbers of moths we, we see are much reduced. From If you went back 100 years ago, there would be far more moths generally, just numbers of moths. But actually, species diversity has been increasing. We, we've had a huge number of new species colonise this country in the last hundred years. Some species have died out, but they are hugely outnumbered by the species that have colonised. Now, that may be because of obviously global warming and the temperatures are increasing and everything else. Also, we're much better at recording now, so some species may have been missed. But it does seem to be a genuine increase in the number of species. And things like the El Alban wainscot is a good example. We I mean, that colonised Cornwall. And it, and it spread and it, it seems quite happy here as a resident now along the south coast. And there's some species which are pest species. I mean, there's the box tree moth. Yeah. Um, and there's other ones which become, I mean, real agricultural pests, some of them, aren't they? They are, yeah. I mean, interesting enough, I'd never caught a box tree moth here until literally in the last two weeks. And I've had a couple now. And so they are, you know, they've arrived here. I mean, there's tales of, um, you say the numbers 
your species might have increased because things some coming in naturally yeah some you know coming in on garden plants and things like that yeah but there's tales of um you know because how many moths were in this trap i know it wasn't an ideal night but probably well 500 moths maybe in there if you if you went through and caught counted everyone yeah but you hear tales of you know hundreds of in a trap like that and also weigh the trap well absolutely (laughs) yes and some of the times you know there's there's old tales of people driving back from the pub on a summer's night and have to stop halfway to clear all the moths off your windscreen yeah you know because there's just so many moths splattered on your windscreen well, but I'm, those days I'm, are over at the yeah, moment. Yeah, well, it really they? is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not that old, as you can tell. But uh, you know, <laughs> um, okay. So I'm I'm in my in my fifties. But I do remember as a kid driving around on our old Morris Traveller, and on a you know driving on a summer's evening, you would see literally hundreds of moths in front of the the car lights whizzing from back and forth and everything else. Yeah. I don't see that now. Even driving through the New Forest, which is fabulous, fabulous habitat, you you don't see those sort of clouds of moths that you used to see. <laughs> Sometimes some of these names are quite literal, aren't they? So there's this moth, it's got a little, looks like a brownish eye, doesn't it? Yes, that's a... And this little line here, like bright line. So yes, what's that be? That's a, that's a bright line brown eye. Yeah. So, that, yeah, I don't think the moth name is having a particularly good day that day, but um, bright line brown eye, or BLBE, as you always put it down in your notebook. But, um, yeah, another little brown job, really. And this is a smoky wainscot. The wainscots are a family of moths often associated with sort of reed beds and, and coastal habitats. And obviously we're right on the coast here, so this is a smoky wainscot and uh, we catch we catch quite a range of wainscots here actually on this, on this site. So we've got another little one of these ones that hold their wings flat. What's that one? That's a single dotted wave, which um, again, it's, a, it's an attractive little moth, isn't it? But um, I think it's a beauty, isn't it? Yeah. And often, very often, the smaller moths actually are stunning. You just need to look at them really, really closely. Some of the bigger moths are a bit, a bit drab, but the, the tiny moths really, uh, really go to town. Now you've got a couple of moths you caught last night, haven't you, somewhere, Pete? But um, they're scrub- yeah, quite in, in interesting. Yeah, in the best sort of blue peter tradition, I thought I'd, uh, I'd keep a few so that we could see some in case the weather was bad, which it has been. And so here's a few I prepared earlier. That one's a beauty. It looks like a leaf in a box, doesn't it? Yeah, this is um, this is a large emerald, and as its name suggests, it's a bright green moth. This is the largest of the uh, the emerald moths we get in this country, and that's a lovely fresh specimen, which is one of the reasons I thought I'd uh, retain it. And it almost looks. I mean, it's butterfly shaped, isn't it? And it's the size of maybe one of the white butterflies you see in the garden. But it's yeah. bright, beautiful emerald green. It's a stunning moth, and it's yeah. the sort of thing that unless you run a moth trap, your chances of seeing it are extremely yeah. thin because they're they're just not that they're not that common. There aren't very large numbers of them, um, but uh, you know, so your chances of seeing it during the day, something like that, is brilliantly camouflaged. Uh, so you really need to run a run a trap to have any chance at all of seeing them. So or go along on an organised mothing event, and there are lots of organised mothing events all over the country. And uh, you'll have people there that run traps, and they'll explain explain to you what they've caught and show you what they've caught. And uh, you don't need to go out necessarily and buy your own moth trap. You, there are events you can go to 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 see these things. Now, uh, did you have a peppered moth? I do indeed. Look at that. It's a famous moth, isn't it? There was a big study done because there's a there's this is. I mean, it's sort of triangular shape, you know, a couple, few centimetres across, but it's, as you might suggest, you know, it looks like pepper, it's white and black pepper, mm. you know, mix of two. Yeah, what's interesting about the peppered moth is anybody who's done O-level, yeah, I'm telling my age now, or yeah. GCSE biology, 
may well have looked at the pepper moth because it's often used as a, an example of changes in um, habitat and how they are manifested in changes in insects. So this comes in two forms, a dark form and a pale form like this covered in black dots. Now in, in an area like this where we've got fairly clean air, trees are covered in lichens, the peppered moth is brilliantly camouflaged in this white form covered in black dots. So it'll sit on the bark of a tree covered in lichens and it'll be brilliantly camouflaged for birds. If you're the black form of this moth, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb and yep. birds will predate you. Whereas if you live somewhere where you've had heavy industrial pollution, it's killed all the lichens and the, and the trees are basically quite dark in colour, the bark is quite dark in colour, the dark form of this moth has an advantage. So if you're a white moth sitting on a dark background, you're going to stand out and get eaten. And so it was demonstrated that in areas where you've got high industrial pollution, killing off the lichens, the dark form was far, far commoner. Whereas in areas where you didn't have that, the white form was far commoner. So, and, and these, these, I mean, when you had the industrial revolution, because um, there was loads of soot in the air at that time, the dark form became far more common. But then when it's become cleaner, um, because uh, we can see on these trees here, there's a lot more lichen, and that's more common now these days. Now the air is much cleaner, isn't it? So it you is. Get and these I paler forms. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the, it's been demonstrated that the, uh, the darker form has, has, has declined and the pale uh, form has, has increased, as you say, since the Clean Air Acts of the 1950s. And so it's a good news story, really, in that, that you know, if you've got a lot of pale pepper moths around, you'd be pretty certain your, your air quality is pretty good. Mm. And there was something that looks like a scrunched up bunch of leaves as well isn't it i saw that you had yeah this is an extraordinary moth again this is one that's um, evolved to be uh, camouflaged this is a moth called the lappet and it if you didn't know this was a moth you'd think it was i don't know like you say a scrunched up leaf or even a small mammal it's got a little cute little face actually yeah and with the like a little shrew yeah it does look a bit like a shrew it's, not, it's about the same size as a, a pygmy shrew as well um yeah, so th this isn't a particularly common moth. You don't catch it that often. Um, it's got this lovely sort of um, russet uh, orange colour with a sh purpley sheen on the wings. Um, and yeah, as you say, this, this again, this is an example of a moth that's, um, that's, that's hiding during the day because it's got a big, fat, juicy body. It'll make a lovely meal for something. Yeah. There's, a, there's a robin around here that constantly is you know, patrolling, waiting for his, his chance. And he would love that as a little snack. Um, so it's doing its best to uh, to avoid being uh, being caught. And again, it's these lovely names, isn't it? I mean, we haven't caught some of the ones that you know that I love the names of. I mean, the uncertain is a great one. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? But uh, I think in a previous podcast we talked about the the merveilles du jour. It's French for the wonder of the day. Yeah. Um, so there's some lovely names. There's true lovers not. Uh, there's the antler moth. Uh, there's there's so many the gothics there's some gothic moths isn't there there are they, they? wear black today i presume <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of uh, makeup yeah they, the, the moths do have fantastic names actually i mean actually having um common names for things does does help in many ways people yeah. get into it because um the you know learning scientific names is, is quite hard going and some of them are quite difficult to pronounce and everything else so by having a whole range of common names for most of the, the, the macro moths i think it does make the uh, the hobby a, perhaps a bit easier for people to get into as a robin's come straight in and he's nabbed something and interesting enough when they published the book recently on the micro moths these very small moths we were talking about earlier on they did actually come up with a whole series of 
names, mm, English yeah. names for each one of these micro moths, which I know, you know, some sort of hardcore entomologists weren't very keen on, um, but you can sort of understand why they, they wanted to do that because it's trying to popularize, popularize the hobby and, and perhaps make it a little bit easier to, to get into for people who are just starting out. So uh, anyway, yeah, it's, uh, so you, you've now got an English name for pretty much every moth in this country. And as you say, that's an awful lot. Yes. Well, that was quite a range of moths. We just, even though it wasn't a particularly good night, quite a range of moths out in there, Pete. Quite attractive things and interesting stories with them. Yeah, I'd say we probably got about 50 species in there, which is not bad, really, considering it did rain half the night. But yep. uh, on a really good night, we, you, you, as I say, you'd probably get up to about 100 species. So um, it varies from day to day at this time of year. But if you're trapping in July, you're always going to catch something. That's the great thing. Great, Pete. Thanks for showing this. We're, you know, we're privileged to come and see them, I think. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, Andy, that has been wonderful seeing so many moths and the camouflage of some of them is amazing. Yeah, they're absolutely fabulous things, aren't they? Any, any favourites amongst those you saw? I love the big moths. I love those poplar hawk moths. They just look so cute, like you want to cuddle them. And the elephant hawk moth, the, the shocking pink thing. It is a fabulous colour. And that lappet was really nice as well because it just looked like a crushed up leaf. It's got amazing camouflage. Yeah, it's the colour of a dead beech leaf. It's mm -hmm. that sort of rich brown colour. And the, they say the camouflage is absolutely amazing. It is. I did not think that some of these were moths. I thought they were sticks. So um, it's been really good. Are you ready for another one of Carly's fun facts though, Andy? I'm always ready for your fun facts, Carly. The smallest moth that's found in Britain, I can't say it at all, but it only has a wingspan of about three millimetres. And the minute larvae of it live inside sorrel leaves and often turn them that red colour while they're mining out the inside. Can you say what that moth is, Andy? It's Inuka acetosea. Yeah, it's the thing, as Pete was saying about this, uh, they're what they call the binomials. Some people call them Latin names, but some it's Greek in there as well. But it's it's like a it's a two-word name um, in Greek or Latin, or sometimes people put a name in there, um, and that's the scientific name, uh, which you know, in every species in Britain, or it's in the world, where they've been named, has got a scientific name. So they haven't got what we call a vernacular, a common name. But there might even be more smaller moths out there. I mean, because. It's, they're very difficult to study and you've got to be a real specialist and clearly there's always new things being found as well. There is. So Pete has a lovely moth trap, but what can us ordinary folk do to study our nighttime visitors? I mean, when I first started mothing quite a while ago, as we said, partly by just leaving your windows open at night mm -hmm. um, because there are some, I mean, this was a mercury vapour lamp which gives off a lot of ultraviolet light. There's some species that don't respond to that. They like your normal house lights yeah um, and there's some species there's a quite a big one called the old lady mm -hmm. uh, and there's some of the swift moths uh, they'll come into your house and you get quite a lot of moths coming into your house and if you if you don't mind things like that flapping around your yeah. house that's a good way to start um pete behind his trap here he's got some old, old well, I presume, hopefully they're old bed sheets he's not going to use them again i hope um, not they're a bit dirty <laughs> uh, but they're pinned to the bushes around here um because it reflects the light and some moths land on the on the bush on the um sheets all oh, right so you can hang a bed sheet over your washing line and mm -hmm. just have a normal lamp or a torch shining on it um it doesn't trap things 
So the beauty of the moth trap is you can leave it out overnight and go to bed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, if you stay out there, you'll, you'll get moths coming to those. I might try that when it's not raining. Yeah. Um, but also you can make your own. I mean, if you look online for build your own moth trap, mm-hmm. um, you'll find um, co- conservation bodies like the Butterfly Conservation. Yeah. Um, and they look, they look at moths as well. And there's guides on there how to make them. Um, and sometimes you, if you, you can buy an actinic-like bulb. If you go online, you should be able to buy those for about £10. Right. And you can put them, they're a screw fitting into a normal uh, bulb holder, and mm-hmm. you can run those off your mains. Ah. And they're the ones that are used, you know, if you go in your local chip shop and there's that bright light on the wall, which occasionally goes zoop, and yeah. zaps the insects. Yeah. That's the bulb that are used in those. Okay, well, I don't really want to zap the insects. But you just buy the bulb. Okay. <laughs> so you can make your own. Um, you can sort of build it over a, a bucket or a tub. Um, and as Pete said, egg boxes in there. Keep your egg boxes, mm-hmm. particularly the bottom bits where the, where the eggs go into. Yeah. Because there's loads of surfaces that bo- the moths can go onto. So you can make your own. That's really good. I'm definitely going to go and try and make my own. So what books are good for beginners to um, have a look at? Is there any good books that aren't too scientific for us newbies? Well, the thing, I mean, Pete talks about that old book called Skinner, and that was the standard work, but they were all set like a museum specimen. Mm-hmm. It was photographs like that, so it's quite unnatural poses, and you see some of the way these moths hold themselves. They don't put their wings out like that no. half the time. There's a fabulous artist called Richard Lewington, and he's, he's drawn them all beautiful, detailed um, drawings of these things in their natural poses, as well as sometimes with the wings open. Um, and there's a field guide to the moths, the Great Britain Island, and there's also this smaller one called the Concise Guide, and that's just pretty much just all illustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can pick that up about fifteen pounds. Cool. Um, but also, if you go online, um, there's the UK Moth website. Um, but also, if you live in Hampshire, there's a lovely site called Hans Moth, mm-hmm. and that's got a feature in there called Flying Tonight. Yes. So you you can see what's because. As Pete says, there's some things that only come out in the winter, some only come out in May and June. So it depends what time of the year they come out. Mm-hmm. But this one will show all the most common moths that are out actually for that week. So what you might at. actually find in your moth trap that week. Absolutely. Which is really good. Yeah. And there's also a really good Hans Moth Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So you can post the pictures on there and say, I think this is such and such or cont- I'm totally lost with this one is there somebody out there who can help me with this and you'll get loads of help and comments from that as well and you can always send us in your photos of moths because I'm sure Andy and Pete would love to help identify them if you send them in via our countryside social media pages I'll see what the experts can do and you don't need I mean this we're a quite a special place here because I mean I can see the Isle of Wight from here, so you've got a lot of migrants, moths coming from the coast. Yeah. We're on the edge of a nature reserve. But I get quite a lot of moths in my garden. I'm in farmland. But I've also got somebody I work with. She's in the plane department. <laughs> and she started getting into the moths. And she lives in the mid- right urban middle of Basingstoke. Mm-hmm. And just the other day, she sent me a photograph saying my child failed this in the garden. And it was a privet hawk moth. Mm-hmm. So you can find moths anywhere. Yeah, I quite often get poplar hook moths in my garden and I live in Southampton as I've said before. So I hope you've all enjoyed this episode of Looking After Nature. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or thoughts or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss in a future episode. 
Let us know by checking out our social media pages. And we'd really appreciate it if you rate and review us on our podcast on iTunes, as this helps other people find us. For now, thanks again for listening. I'm Andy Davidson. And I'm Carly Howard. See you next time.